I need to like have a fun greeting. I'm still working on it. Well, Dan's got a Heidi Ho on lock. So. <laughs> I don't want Heidi Ho. Sound weird. Say that I don't like it. <laughs> now you're gonna say it every time. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it real creepy too. Heidi Ho. <laughs> I know it. That's how creepy it was last time. Hey. <laughs> Ooh, it's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> Do that when Tiffany introduces herself, then say, ooh, it's a little late. And welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast is my co-host, socially inept Tiffany. Hey. Scandalous Nad. Howdy ho. And the one and only Smee. Hello out there in podcast land. All right, there's a new voice on the podcast tonight, and as I just introduced him, it is Smee, our good buddy and fellow Nonsensical founder. Uh, so he will be joining us today for our What We've Been Playing segment that we always do, and then also our review of Sheriff of Nottingham, because Smee is just such a fan of bluffing and social deduction games. <laughs> I'll regret that. Uh, we also will end the show with uh, the rebirth of the Keep Trade Burn segment that everyone had a good time with, uh, and then we'll say goodbye. So that is the rundown for the show, and right now let's just get into what we've been playing. So I'll go ahead and kick it off. Um, we've been having a couple different game nights over the past week or two, um, and we've been playing all kinds of games. And one that I have really enjoyed that we've actually talked about on a previous cast is Abyss. So Abyss is was a Gen Con 2014 release. Um, it is a Bruno Cathala um, release, and it is basically an underwater-themed set collection game. It's got fantastic artwork, and that's probably something that you'll notice first. But what I really enjoyed about it was the gameplay, as opposed to the art. Everyone's talking about how great the game looks, and I've actually never heard anyone talk about really the, the nitty-gritty of the gameplay, other than uh, Tiffany on the other episode. Tiffany, what were your opinions on it? I'm trying to refresh my memory. Oh, um, I liked it. I thought it was really solid. The only thing that bothered me about the game was the monster track. I wanted that to be more. That was my thing. Yeah, there's only six monsters in the game in a deck of, like, what, 60 cards plus, maybe. Um, so they don't really pop up that often, but they're one of the primary ways to get keys and pearls. So they're kind of sparse. Dan got in his first play of it. Uh, what'd you think, dude? I played it three times actually since last time recorded. Um, the one thing I thought was a bit lacking was the locations. Uh, there's so many of them, but it almost felt like, and, and Smee, you can probably comment on this as well. First one to seven always had the advantage. Um, obviously, the lords are worth points, so first to seven is going to have a slight advantage, but going after those um, locations sometimes just seemed to hinder me uh, a bit more than I thought was uh, likable, <laughs> so to say. Um, I also thought, some. I mean, again, in a set collection game, you're going to have randomness, um, but just not having pearls, some of those rounds, if you were set back at all, 
uh, and not being able to uh, bid for uh, the resource cards on another player's turn, that could that could throw your whole game off. Yeah. Smee, what do you think? Uh, I I just had my first playthrough of it last night, or I guess it was Thursday, but uh, I ended up enjoying it. Well, speaking about how the uh, the first to seven would win, the Lord's powers do tend to snowball sometimes. They would let you, you know, grab uh, grab a uh, another Lord, grab a, if you're going after the the ambassadors. Uh, they come with three keys themselves, so they're worth a entire location by themselves. They do balance out because they're not worth as many points, but they're they get you a whole location, which can be right, which, huge. which 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 by themselves can be worth any number of points for whatever their power is, plus their their base point cost also. Yeah, um, I really like the game. I think I got two plays into it like two nights in a row, and like I said, it looks great. But really, I I beyond that, I think the game is a lot of fun, and it's a twist on set collection that I don't really think I've experienced before. Now. In both games that I played, whoever won, they won by a lot. So I guess that speaks to the snowball problem that um, has been talked about. And the first game we played, there were so few pearls floating around, which I thought like the economy was kind of weak in the game. So I was interested about that. But then the second game we played, there was way too many because I spent a lot of time just exploring, exploring, exploring all the way to the end to get pearls so I could buy cards on other players' turns. Uh, one thing, yeah. I, One thing I did notice is that uh, if, if you didn't have the pearls to make a purchase immediately, then sometimes that would let the person exploring, you know, get a whole line of, of allies up at the top, and then you could then take a good chunk from the council on your next turn. Yeah, that did that did um, seem to be interesting at some time. Yeah, I know you did that a lot with um, our friend August passing a couple of the threes and the fours, and then he just kind of gambled a bit, and it wound up benefiting you because... You were stacking a couple of those things, so it was interesting. I, I do like the game. I, I think it's really cool, but I really think it's it's tough to catch up if you fall behind in that one. It, it certainly can be. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that on Abyss, Tiffany? Oh, no. I mean, I agree about the locations. Uh, in the times that I've played it, I haven't gone for locations at all and oh, usually yeah. win. So, yeah. I've won with no locations. Do, like, collectively, do we think that this is a game that we're going to keep around and keep playing, or is this kind of like, it was interesting, but pass on it? No. I'm keeping I'd, mine. Yeah, I'd play it. Cool. It's me? Yeah, but personally, I think it's worth keeping around. I mean, it's not going to be one of those I'll I'll ask to play every time we show up, but, uh, yeah, keep it around. Cool, cool. Uh, Tiffany, what have you been getting into? Um, okay. Uh, lack of game nights this week, but I did get to play Elevenses. It's a card game about tea. Oh, do tell, please. Tea and crumpets. I am so interested. Oh, stop it. So <laughs> it's it's a 30-minute game. Uh, so it's just like a little short card game, and every player has 11 cards. Four of them get played down in a 4x2 um, grid. And then on your turn, you take the cards from your hand and you switch them out with the cards in the grid. Each card has a specific location on the grid. So if I'm going to play, let's say, the the milk card, it goes in the number three location. So I place <laughs> the milk card down in the number three location and I take the card that was in that location back into my hand. Is this 3% milk? I've never had that before. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Um, really, the reason I checked this card, this game out, was because the art is pretty awesome. Their artist is TJ Lebrano. Hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, she does like watercolor stuff. It's all of her art is really like whimsical and neat. And they have some videos on Board Game Geek of her like speed painting the card art for the game. So it looks cool. It played longer than 30 minutes for us. It played probably 45 minutes, but we were learning. So it maybe takes a little bit longer than I would want a game like this to go for. Yeah. So, but it was kind of neat. Like, you you just play until um, once you have revealed four cards down in that tableau, you you can play the 11s this card and that ends the round and then whoever has the the cards have spoons showing on them whoever has the most spoons gets sh- a sugar cube and then the second most you or sound gets... like a crazy person oh well maybe i should start over i'm having a really hard time not laughing <laughs> damn it you are more than welcome to laugh no, now, fine. It's so not did, you. I'm just you're saying we're gathering spoons to collect sugar cubes, and I don't know what to do with that. This is a game with class, and you are a classless individual. Well, you had mentioned too when we were talking before that it's kind of take that, which I I find pretty <laughs> contradicting to the theme of tea party. <laughs> but... Right, right, because you, you're playing these cards that kind of like screw over your opponents. Like, they, they cause them to, like, give you a card or swap a card with you. Like, they're they're forcing them to do things. So it, it's kind of more aggressive than you would think a game about tea would be about, like, so. Well, there goes my design idea for Cutthroat Tea Party. Jeez. <laughs> Another interesting thing about it is in, on all of the cards, the players are always referred to as her. So is that is that, like, refreshing and gender neutral? Well, not gender neutral, but is that refreshing and uh, nice to see? Or is that just more sexist? I don't know. It didn't bother... I mean, it, that stuff doesn't really bother me, I don't think, as much as some other people. But I, I found it interesting that some of the guys at the table were like, I don't want to be called her. And I was like, yeah. Oh, finally, guys get to get into the he or she debate in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of nice. I, I didn't mind it. I don't care one way or the other, but... Anyway, it's just interesting. You you can also, besides just placing down the cards, have opportunities to rearrange your cards. So you're just kind of like trying to get the most spoons, and then there are more powerful cards that don't give you any spoons but let you do crazy things. And I haven't played it with the special guests expansion that's included in the box. So I'm looking forward to that. Give some secret objectives kind of thing. All right, so staying on the shelf? You're cool with it? Yeah, yeah, I'm keeping it. It's a $10 game, so it's worth a try, I think. Another game that we've all been playing. Now, Tiffany, have you played Lords of Zidit? I have not. Okay, so maybe this will, we'll try to keep this less one-sided, but we've all been playing Lords of Zidit. I think Dan played it like 12 times. He played it in his sleep once, and he, you know, he's a pro at it. But uh, this is something we've all been playing, and I think we have pretty diverse views on it. So, Smee, how about you explain it? Tell us a little bit about it. Um, uh, this is one where I actually pretty much love it. Uh, it's a retheme of the old Himalaya game where you were trading, uh, you know, resources out in the mountains of the Himalayas. But this time you are in the fantasy kingdom that is depicted in the Seasons card game. Uh, you are going about recruiting uh, fighters of different types. You've got your archers, your peasants, uh, some knights, clerics, wizards. And then you are taking those units and fighting monsters to gain 
both renown, gold, and, you know, the option to build some mage towers for control of these areas. Um, the interesting thing about scoring for this is that there are a randomized uh, method of scoring where, uh, first off, you'll have to either score for the, the renown, the um, gold, or the mage towers, and it's the lowest person in each particular scoring field that gets knocked out. So you don't have to be the highest in all three scores. You just don't have to be the lowest for the first two before, you know, winning the third one. Yeah. So when you set up the game, you know what, like, the end victory condition is, and then you know what those other two are that you just need to scrape by. Right, And right. just not be the worst at. So it is cool in that way. So what do you really like about it? Because I know that you, you're a big fan of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, programming your movements and, you know, trying to think ahead what your opponent's going to do, uh, how the board is going to change before your action takes place. Uh, that's the sort of stuff that I enjoy about it. Okay. Dan, you're a big fan of it too, right? I am. It's um, Not only is it a really beautiful game, the um, the components are top-notch. Got little, uh, little miniature characters for each of the um, depicted, uh, I guess, classes of whatever they are, soldiers, resources, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, and... and Programmable movement where you don't fall into a pit is always <laughs> is always great in my book because I suck at Robo Rally, and this one or Volt <laughs> or Volt or any other programmable robot game. This one's nice because I'm not controlling a robot, and I have a little bit more. Yeah, it's a uh, programmable wizard riding a turtle. I do play as the wizard riding a turtle. <laughs> I was riding a yak. I have won. Almost no. I've won two of the games we played. Yeah. So obviously it gets a little bit bump in my book. That's but, um, why he likes it. No, it's a it's a really good game. It's top notch production from uh, Asmodee as always, and it's it's really cool. I, it's a, it's a different spin. I never played the original Himalaya, so it's nice to see it come back in uh, this form. Tiffany, any interest in Zidit? Oh yeah, it's been I've been looking at it quite a bit. Now is it out or is it still? No, this was um, this was one I picked up at Gen Con. I think it was a pre-release at Gen Con. Okay, and it probably I don't know I don't there's, know is it there, out? There's another month or month and a half before it comes out. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it might. I mean, I really enjoyed Panamax, which we'll get into in a minute. But this might be my purchase of the con. I really enjoyed it. Uh, other than Rhino Hero, of course. Rhino Hero is is the <laughs> Rhino game. Hero trumps all. Um. Yeah. I I enjoy playing Zidit. I don't know if I like it as much as you guys, but really I feel like I need more plays. Part of it is because I thought it was going to be way heavier than it ended up being. It looks really complex, and the setup is a real pain in like the ass. It is, like, stupid simple, though. There, but it's there, it's there, very simple. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to it and, and little, um, like, upkeep rules to it, but the actual gameplay is, is pretty simple to go through. Yeah. Yeah, the turns go super quick once you get the hang of it. Yeah. So... Lord is it it from Asmodee. Something to keep an eye out. Uh, Dan, I know Zidit was probably one of the big games that you've been playing, but anything else that has interested you? Um, well, I just alluded to it. Um, myself and Smee got in a two-player game of Panamax. Tiffany, I know you've played this one as well, so chime in as you see fit. But um, Panamax, for those that don't know, is a um, a game where the players are assuming the roles of, I guess, shipping magnets. Magnets, is that the word I'm looking for? Magnates. Magnates is the word I'm saying. My Baltimore accent sounds like magnets. 
But <laughs> no, that's because you said magnet. Shipping magnets. <laughs> no, that's what I meant, though. You're in large ships that are magnetic. Yes, we're in magnetic ships. Well, that, that is how you get through the camera. That's how you, the yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you just strap yourself onto a lock and go right through. Um, it's anyways, a game about polarity. Yes, yeah, so you guys are taking on the, the role of those things. And then you're trying to basically, um, through stock mechanics as well as uh, movement of the uh, ships through the canal pieces. You're trying to um, acquire money, and most money wins. Um, the, the big thing with uh, Panamax, the big mechanic, is it's the cargo and the action is all dice-based. So the pips, the values of the pips are the actual value of the cargo. Um, you're also rolling dice at the beginning of every round to kind of lay out what actions are available based on the, the little chart that's available on the board. Um, it's really, really crunchy. I mean, mm-mm, good, crunchy. What? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, there's so many, uh, play on words, so many moving parts in this game that it's, it was hard to wrap my, my head around it the first turn or two, and I think Smee will agree. By the time we got to turn three, we were like, oh, I should have done this two turns ago differently. We were kind of reanalyzing what we did um, wrong. I, I jumped into the stock market, which helped me in the end. But it's actually one in the game and like one fail swoop at the very end. Yeah. One action, forty point swing. Ah! It was genius, pure genius on my part. That was bloody luck. <laughs> luck is genius, sort of. But <laughs> no, it's not. That makes no sense whatsoever. But I I don't recommend it two player. Tiffany, you played it with more players. Uh, Smee and I did it two player, and it just the um, the compromise of pushing each other's ships throughout the um, the board, as well as loading cargo into other ships, um, it just wasn't present in the two-player game. I think we just kind of looked out for our own needs, our own ships, and we just did it. Um, it was almost like solitary in a way. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we had three or four players, then the, the lakes and the locks would be a lot more crowded. Uh, there'd probably be some give and take between who's loading what cargo on what ship, and, you know, what ship uh, gets out to the other ocean to be scored. Uh, but with just the two players, yeah, we were, we were all loading our own ships, moving our own ships. There wasn't too much interaction beyond uh, the stock market part of it. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of compromising kind of situations where you had to really think hard. It was like, what's best for me? So mm. that's See, and that's where the game kind of shines. Like, we, I played it with four players, and... Um, I don't think the decision to, like, push your opponents was as hard as I thought it was going to be. But there was more interaction in that, you know, when you, you have that stock track uh, stock track thing, and you can choose to move someone else's stock up and make it impossible for them to pay out, and things like that. So, like, if someone's helping me out and pushing me through, I'm not trying actively to screw them over that way. But we had the case where someone was, like, on purpose not helping me <laughs> and uh so i was looking for ways to screw them over <laughs> and it made it interesting and interactive in that way so i would definitely recommend trying it with more than two players so you can get kind of some of that that kind of interaction was fun yeah it almost brings a little bit of uh, there's no negotiation i don't want people to think there is but you can kind of there's a little bit of table talk like you can see like you know push that die through for me you know, I'll push this one through for you. Think, things like that. I think that's what was missing in the two-player game was that kind of uh, interaction between players. So 
I think we'll probably review this one in the near future because I, I really enjoyed it. We'll probably introduce it to Matt after we're done recording here. So, Cool. I'm all for it. Uh, so, Tiffany, tell us about Suspend. Oh, Suspend. So I discovered this because a whole bunch of my friends were at uh, GrandCon the other weekend, and I was just sat at home watching their tweets. Were you sitting on your couch? I was sitting on my couch watching their tweets. Good call. <laughs> and one of the things, I think it was Matt Riddle, tweeted a picture of them playing this game, and I just, I love dexterity games, so I just went ahead and got on Amazon and bought it immediately. Uh, so it's kind of just like, it's Jenga, but it's kind of like a mobile mobile like for a baby so there's a stand that you're putting these rubber tipped wire pieces on and your goal is to get your all of your pieces on to the thing first and then that's how you win so you're kind of balancing these around and there are different lengths and they have different notches in them so i thought it was like a nice take on a dexterity game and i i know for sure that my middle school board game club will love it so it was fun i'd recommend it it's cheap it sounds cool yeah it looks neat on the table. Yeah, now that you mentioned the, the mobile part of it, uh, I remember seeing that uh, not too long ago. I've never played it, but uh, I mean, it looked pretty cute. So <laughs> one of the other games that we played last night, uh, Steve and Smee were over, and Steve brought over Quilt Show, which is something that we've been teasing him about for months now. But it was an okay game. Smee, what do you think about it? I mean, like I said, it wasn't terrible, but there there is the whole uh, set collection mechanic. It did feel a lot like Ticket to Ride in that you were uh, collecting cards that gave you uh, colors of, of fabric. And there was also the, the wild cards that were like dye. Uh, and then you had to spend those cards to pick up uh, actual quilt blocks, which were which have you know actual quilt patterns on them, and they're all different colors. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was interesting. Um, some of the bits about um, about how you had to make a quilt of a certain size and of a certain type uh, was pretty cool. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? I'd rather play Ticket to Ride, personally. But that might be just sentimental. Um, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was a it was a solid little game. It was smooth mechanically, but like like Smee alluded, the, the mechanics were basically ticket to ride. It was if you got three wild cards on the you know the upright cards, it cleared them. You could take three cards either from the face up or the draw pile. So it's it really was in that aspect ticket to ride, and then using those cards again to collect sets to buy the different fabrics. Um, quilts could be made of the same fabric or the same color. You had to choose. That part was a little bit interesting, and we had the player screen, so you didn't really know what the other players were trying to do. So, I, I don't know. It it wasn't my favorite game. I don't want to say it was bad, but it wasn't. What's the win condition? Win condition was most money. So, at the end of every round, um, there's these little um, timer markers, and every time you build a, a, a section of quilt, you get one of these markers. Once this pile of markers runs out, it triggers a quilt show. And then at the quilt show, what you do is you draw, was it six prize prize amounts? Um, anywhere from 15000 to like $2,000. And what you're doing is you're competing for those prizes by building the best quilt, like I said before, uh, using either all of the same color or all of the same pattern. And you could use the minimum was, what, three? Size yeah, you three? Have, you have a one-by-three quilt, a two-by-two, two-by-three, up to a giant four-by-four. Uh, four-by-four. So... You're trying to, and each one of these tiles has a different um, 
value on them. So what you're doing is you're making these quilts, like like Smi just said, into a, a shape of some sort, and then you're adding up those values of each tile. Whoever has the most gets the best prize, and then so forth and so on. So that that's how you score. After three rounds, whoever has the most money wins, is the best quilter. I mean, half the fun of it was actually building the quilt during the quilt show. You know, so like behind our screens, we'd be constructing you know the yeah. pattern of the quilt. So we'd have the best looking quilt as long as <laughs> as well as being the most valuable quilt. Yeah, I mean, just putting it all together was kind of the most fun. It was weird. It's ticket. It is ticket to ride reminiscent, um, or ticket to ride esque, but. It's got that extra step, so you collect cards, but then you have to collect tiles with those cards, and then you put them together. So basically, if constructing the quilts is your routes and the cards, there's that in-between step where you have to actually get the tiles. It's almost like if in Ticket to Ride you had to buy your trains first, and then put them out. So it's kind of weird like that. Um, But it's okay. I just feel like it ran too long. It was three rounds, and that took us over an hour Right? I don't know. I even lost track of time. Maybe it just felt long. I don't know. But I started drinking. <laughs> about an hour isn't bad for that. I mean, that it didn't feel like it ran too long, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. But it was interesting, and it was a game about making quilts. But apparently there's another game about making yeah. quilts coming out. Uwe Rosenberg has um, patchwork coming out at Essen. So it, it's me and I were joking. It's kind of bizarre that this year you've seen two games about making quilts. We've seen two games about the Essen Game Fair itself. It's just, I don't know, it's like these themes that you just wouldn't think of, and then there's multiple ones of that theme. It's just—it's so bizarre this year. <laughs> but you know what? There's only been one game about trying to sneak goods past a mean sheriff. And that is my excellent segue into our next segment, which is our review of Sheriff of Nottingham. So we're going to take a t- quick break, and then we'll come back and do that review. Now that we've taken a break, let's get into our next segment, which is our review of Sheriff of Nottingham. So Sheriff of Nottingham is the latest release from Arcane Wonders, or as I have them in my notes as the Mage Wars guys. Um... Designed by Sergio Halibon, Brian Pope, and Andre Zatz, with art by the Arcane Wonders in-house artists, which are Lorraine Schleter or Schleter and David Sladek. So now that I've butchered all those names, we can talk a little bit about Sheriff of Nottingham. So this is a three to five player game. It's supposed to take about sixty minutes, which seems to be right on target. What everyone say, um, and. This is a hand management and bluffing game. So this is another in our social deduction line. So I guess this goes right along with uh, Werewolf and The Resistance, which we did last review episode. But this is a bit of a step up. So in a game round, what's going to happen is one player is going to be the sheriff. And the sheriff is the person trying to deduce what the other players are trying to sneak by them or bluff. The players who aren't the sheriff are going to take a certain number of goods cards from their hands. There are four types of legal goods, apples, bread, cheese, and chickens, and there's four types of illegal goods. There's spices, or pepper, there's silk, crossbows, and mead. So a player can take any combination of these cards that they have in their hand and place up to five of them into this little felt bag with a nice plastic clasp on it. 
And then they're going to tell the sheriff a number of goods and one type of legal good. And this is where the bluffing comes in. So I can say I have four chickens in this bag or I have two bread. Um, but the sheriff's goal is to decide whether or not that person is trying to bluff them or lie. Now, players can't lie about how many cards are in their, their bag, but they can completely lie and bluff about what the actual goods are. So they could say this is four chickens and it's actually four crossbows, which are illegal. The, uh, the sheriff will then determine whether or not they think they're lying, and maybe they'll accept some bribes, or maybe they'll uh, do some favors for the other players to say, okay, maybe I'll open this guy's bag and not this bag if you give me a couple coins. Um, and then the sheriff will make their determinations and either open bags or not open bags. If they don't open the bags, players get whatever is in their bag, it goes into their stall, and that scores them points. If their bag is opened, any legal goods that match their declaration, so I have four chickens. If I actually had two chickens in that bag, I get to keep them, but anything else I then have to pay up for because I was lying. Uh, illegal goods cost more, four coins a a piece for illegal goods. Uh, legal goods that I was lying about, like I've got cheese. Cheese is not a chicken. Uh, that cost me two co coins. If I'm not lying, I say I have four chickens and I actually have four chickens, then the sheriff pays me. And that's basically the game. So the sheriff cycles around and the game will last two full rounds of everyone being the sheriff. Um, so once everyone's been the sheriff twice, the game will end and whoever has the most money in goods um, and pocket change that they have left over from the start will be the winner. So that is Sheriff of Nottingham in a nutshell. Uh, what do we think? Tiffany, what do you think of Sheriff of Nottingham? Oh, I like it. I My group likes it because it's a little bit more structured than some of those other uh, deduction games um, that we were talking about on the last review episode. You have to... You don't necessarily have to lie in it, so I think that appeals to some of them. that They they don't think they're good at lying, so they can just be honest and try to see if that works for them. So it's a little bit more structured and a little bit more accessible, I think, for players that aren't used to that sort of game, maybe to get them started in a game like that, where you have to lie to your friends. Okay, yeah, I mean, like Tiffany said there, bluffing games, they are not my forte. I, I will you know, object to them in almost any way, shape, or form. But uh, Sheriff of Nottingham is one that I did enjoy. Uh, I played like a almost completely honest cheese merchant. Um, I was selling grilled cheese sandwiches with my bread, my cheese. There's a few apples in there. Which is not part of the game, but Smee <laughs> layered that on top of it. <laughs> but, but the game allows that. So because being the sheriff um, will actually, you know, encourage you to be a little like, you know, role play or... Uh, you are asking you know, for the bribes, threatening the other merchants with uh, inspecting their wares, that sort of stuff. It was one that I actually, you know, had some fun with. Yeah, yeah. Dan? Like Tiffany said, the structure is nice for getting those people that don't really care for the bluffing and the duction games. Um, I like the fact that you can play honest. Um, I see here on the show notes, someone else already uh, mentioned something that I was going to say as well. Uh, being the sheriff itself is not the easiest thing in the world. It's 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 almost a crapshoot in knowing. You can see kind of what people are drawing off the deck um, at the beginning. But after that, it's kind of like, it's a lot to remember, especially when you're playing the full complement of players. You're kind of looking around, okay, 
you know, Matt drew this many cheese and he says, okay, I have five cheeses. Like, do I think he has five cheese? And it's almost just like a, it's like a yes or no. It's like the flip of a coin in a way, um, guessing whether you're right or wrong. Um, and it could cost you, but at the end of the day, I don't take this game very seriously. I, I do like it, but it's one of those, it's one of those experience games. That I just kind of have a good time laughing at people saying that they have like four chickens and then it's really four crossbows and it's, it's a good time. Yeah, I think that it is structured, as Tiffany and Dan have said, and that is nice. Um, in terms of the bluffing, it's not as freeform. W- what I think saves it from just being guesswork and flip of a coin is the you have to declare the real number of cards. I think that that is a nice piece um, because it's not like I can say I have five chickens and you open my bag and I only have, I have two crossbows or something like that. You have to say actually how many cards you're putting in the bag. So when I say I have five chickens... There's only like 20 chickens in the game, so you know that the likelihood of that happening isn't very high. So you can use some of that to play to your advantage. Um, Now, that doesn't save it completely from the guesswork, but that's kind of what makes the game fun, at least being the sheriff. One of the things that I I don't know if if it uh, would help the game or not, but this is just a a random thought. Uh, Being able to declare more than one type of good at once uh, would be interesting. Say, okay... I, I've got a, a wagon full of, you know, three chickens, two apples, and there we go. Um, I mean, that would let the, the honest merchants be able to do more, which may not be, you know, what the ga- they want the game to be. Uh, but it will be interesting also on the sheriff's side to have to decipher whether or not both sets of what you, the merchant just said are true. I think that would make it even harder for I was gonna. Sheriff. I was just about to say a thing. Would that make it? make it a bit harder on the sheriff who already has a pretty hard task as it is to kind of discern what the best option to, to open the bag, not open the bag. Uh, do I believe you based on, you, you can math it out a bit. It's, you're not going to, the deck has like 207 cards. So, um, it's a, it's hard except for maybe chickens. Cause there is only like 20 chickens. So if someone's saying four, that's like 20% of the deck. Um, I don't, I don't know if I would say like, so, when I say that you can use that to your advantage, I don't know if I mean strictly math it out, but it does help to give you something to go on in terms of like what's a reasonable claim. So when somebody says I've got three apples in my bag, that is like that's the run of the mill prototypical bid. But when someone starts getting into four and fives, that's when you get a little shady eyed. Um, and if someone only claims like one or two cards, that's equally shifty in my mind. Like Steve's like, I've got one piece of bread in my bag. And I'm like, what the, who would do that? Didn't he actually have one piece of bread during that round? Yeah. And that's how he duped me. (laughs) (laughs) But now, so I think that that's kind of what I mean. So no, you definitely can't strictly math it out, but I do think that it gives you a little something to go on in terms of what's a reasonable and not reasonable bid. And it helps you to feel out the players, because that's obviously what most social deduction games are like. How does Dan like to bid? How does Smee like to bid? Kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think building off with that, with knowing the players, is also having the right group. I know we say this a lot um, with social deduction games, but it's, it's true. You need a good group, one that's going to kind of engage themselves in the, the theme and the, the mechanics. With, with this one... Um, one of the main uh, mechanics for the sheriff is to bribe the other players. Like, what are you going to give me if I don't open this bag? And if you don't have the right the right crew of players uh, around the table, it it could get a bit boring. Or if you're Dan and you don't let people bribe, episode two. I won't get into it. But anyway, <laughs> don't. I'm the greatest sheriff that ever lived. 
Still but bitter about that one. He's still <laughs> bitter. He's still bitter, and he's still wrong. I, I did everything <laughs> perfectly fine. But the thing is, like, if you don't have those players that are willing to kind of just go back and forth with you, kind of get into that uh, negotiation, it, it gets a bit boring. Um, so you're taking well, the social out of the game. Yeah, that's, that's but... the thing. Like, you're like, okay, you can open my bag. And it's like, yeah, all right, that's fine. No, why don't I, you know, all right, I'll, you know, here's another five. Yeah, why don't our, little I brother, our little brother does it the best way. He says, I've got four pieces of bread, and he lays his bag down, and before you say anything, before anyone puts their other bids in, he puts a $5 coin on top of the bag, <laughs> just to let you know this is not a legit claim. <laughs> Smee got into it a little bit about, like, recommendations and changes. Can anybody think of any other ways to, like, spice up the game or things that you would change, or does it kind of work for what it is? I think with the, and I just touched on it with the, the negotiation part of it, it's it's binding for the most part. So if you say, hold it, I'm not hold gonna... it. Oh. Stop right now. It is not necessarily binding. I just discovered this this week. I thought it was binding other than future promises. Right. I didn't know that. And I've been playing oh. like all the future promises were binding as oh. well. And, oh, and wait, you can... wait, wait, <laughs> you've been playing wrong. Yes. Go ahead. Every <laughs> week you play a different game wrong, Tiffany. We need to get you a rule book. Who taught me the game, Dan? Who taught uh, me the uh, game? I taught you correctly because mm. I've been playing it correctly, so I don't know what you were doing when well, I Well, you it. left out that rule, buddy. No, I didn't. So Tiffany yes, owes people, like, drives to work and things like that. She's been doing future <laughs> promises. <laughs> binding. <laughs> No, but like basically the the game I played at Gen Con, Dan Patrice won the game because I felt like I had to go with my promise that I wouldn't look into his bag the next round, and he won that way. So I'm sorry I left the. It's table. your fault. It's not mine. I, th- that that's a pretty ridiculous promise to to accept in that case because you know he is going to exploit it to the fullest. Yeah, that's that's amateur hour, Tiffany. Well, but... I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. Nice to meet you. No, it's not stupid. I just your <laughs> middle name being gullible. That's all. You think I'm not gonna put five crossbows in my bag next turn? Who would do that? No, <laughs> but for those for those of us who have played it correctly, oh, um, I quit the podcast. <laughs> no, I just. I think if I think if everything was non-binding, it would be a little bit more interesting. Like, okay, yeah, I won't open your bag, and then they give you ten bucks, and then you open their bag. It'd be kind oh, of. But wouldn't you but, do that all the time then? But that takes that that gets back to the structure piece. Uh, what you're saying is it? I think it eliminates that structure, which brings in those folks that don't like that about some of the other social deduction games that can be all kinds of willy-nilly and just all kinds of chaos. Here's another thing that I didn't realize because I was taught the game wrong by someone, is that you can you can't say me because I play it correctly. Go ahead, Tiffany. Well, okay. (laughs) So you can you can bribe with the goods in your bag, but you can you You can can bribe merchant stand too. You can lie and and if those goods aren't actually in your bag, you can bribe with non-existent goods. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. I'll give you three of the apples in my bag. There's no apples in my bag. Yes. Here's the thing, too. I also taught you on Saturday night at Gen Con when we were all basically on three hours sleep. And I know I taught it correctly because I basically read the rule book. (laughs) Again. You left out part of the rule book, I I think. I don't know. I I think you missed that part. I think you were tuned out. Have you played things... Have you played it since with the the correct rule book, Tiffany? I have. Okay. So 
you do still like it, even with this. Which which would I like, like it, it more better? with those rules. Okay. Yeah, I like it more with those rules. I like to be able to not do what I say I'm gonna do. We don't do a lot of offering goods. That's probably something maybe we should try uh, I mean, more frequently. We don't. We do a lot with coin, but not with goods so much. Yeah, I, I mean, when when we were first playing it, I don't remember that we were allowed to. I mean, I, I might have just glossed that over myself, but it's not something that I thought of when we were we were playing. I think Dan taught us all wrong. Mm, not guys wrong. <laughs> So what is some of the company that Sheriff of Nottingham falls in with in terms of other games in this genre? Like when we're comparing and we're reviewing and we like it and we don't like it, what are what's our baseline? What other games are we playing in the genre? We talked about uh, Werewolf and we talked about The Resistance, but those quite I don't think they quite fit in here. They do in terms of the social interaction, but they're not quite the same. I don't know. This is less deduction than those games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is like a lot of guesswork. Um, well, I think I mean, it's. I mean, you still have that whole. Are you, you're looking for people's tells? Are they bluffing? Are they double bluffing? You have that going on just like you do in those games. But there, there's, as one of my friends put it, there's more of a game there. There's points and money and goods and tangible things that you don't have in those games. So you said, Tiffany, that there's less. There's more of a game here. In terms of there's other things going on, so if it's it not, it feels more like a game. Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, where do we where do we categorize this? If it's not quite quite a social deduction game like a werewolf or like a resistance, like what other mechanics are we dealing with that help us group this, or is this unique enough? So what is it like? What are those points in that those cards? What is that hand management? Is that set collection? Set collection is that what we're calling it? Yeah. So it's more of like a bluffing those. set collection game. Yes. Okay. Are there is there anything else that falls in that category? I'm trying to think of something, but it's not. Very little off the top of my head um, that I can think of. So this, I mean, to some extent, there's a unique combination of mechanics here. There's something different about Sheriff of, Not- Sheriff of Nottingham. It's not, you know, your prototypical social game. Um, it's got a bit more more meat to it. Is that fair to say? I wouldn't say neat. I don't think that's the right word, but it's definitely unique in a, in a few aspects. Like you said, the hand management with the set collection, with the bluffing. So let's not forget to talk about components a little bit. So Dan, you have these components like memorized. What do we get in this game? So this game comes with what 206 cards, uh, the five player boards, which acts as like your market stall. So your cards kind of go around in their various slots. Uh, but it also has the five like felt bags with the little clasps on them, um, which you're putting your goods in to give to the sheriff. And it's got a bunch of coins. So it's you're getting a decent amount of components for your money. It's approximately, what, $35 MSRP. Uh, you could probably find it even cheaper online. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. Now, how do we actually feel about, like, so you said that you're getting a good amount of stuff for the price point, which is cool. But how do we actually feel about the components themselves? So, Tiffany, I know you you had some problems with the cards. Yeah, well, it just might be because we've played this game a bunch and everybody in my group kind of riffle shuffles everything. So the cards are starting to show some wear. Okay. But that could just be because not everybody is as OCD about the cards as I am. Yeah. So 
there, that's happening. And I've heard more than one person tell me that their snap has ripped off of their bag. Mine hasn't. And I love the snap. But uh, that's that's something I've heard. We can't use our purple bag anymore. Well, we can, but what? we can't close it. Yo, who broke my bag? It didn't break. We just can't close it because it will. it's going to rip off uh, if you open it again. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the one thing about the, the actual bags that I'm not a fan of. They're, they're nice to, you know, to the touch, but they're, they're thin. And the, the snap, you know, how it connects to the bag, it doesn't have enough surface area. So it feels like it's going to rip off if you tug at it too hard. So this is also the first game in the Dice Tower Central line, which is Arcane Wonder's new line of games that basically have the Dice Tower, i.e. Tom Vassell, seal of approval. So, not debating the actual title, Dice Tower Central, because that's a discussion for another day, but what do you think about Sheriff of Nottingham being an essential game? Tiffany? I don't think it's an essential game. I think it's a good game for the genre. I think it would be a game that you could easily get people to try out the genre. So if it's kind of... If I'm looking at it from that point of view, I, I could see it being essential but i don't think it's a must-have i could live without it yeah i could agree with that we we could also debate you know are any games essential but we're really just looking at you know is this a game that is a must-have a highly recommended so however you want to want to call it um but probably not one that needs to be around but a good game um it's me what do you think go ahead tiffany I was going to say, maybe within the genre, do we think it's a must-have? Because I think that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like this bluffing set collection kind of deal, what do you think about that? Do you think it's the go-to? I think it depends on what you're trying to do within the genre. If you're trying to introduce new players to the genre, then yeah, I think it's a great game to bring in new players. Um, because as we discussed before, it has that structure, and it's got a couple of different mechanics that are kind of cool that uh, intertwine with the bluffing. But if we're talking maybe some more hardcore social gamers, uh, I don't think this is a good fit for them. Okay. Smee, what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, my, my uh, like behind it comes from the actual game within the game. So you, you've got the basis of the year game. You're scoring your points. You're collecting your sets, yada, yada, yada. And you have to bluff and, and wheedle your way to it. That's great. Um, but like I said, it, it's not really one that I would consider essential. Uh, unless we're going by genre by genre, and even then, uh, it's not one that I really would have on my shelf. I'd, I'd play it happily, but it's not one that I need for my collection. Okay. So overall, Sheriff of Nottingham, you know, we've talked about what we like and what we don't like. Uh, maybe it's a game for someone out there, but what do we think, personally, try, buy, or pass? It's me. Uh, I'd give it uh, a try rating, like a, a thumbs up. I'm, I'm good with it. Okay. Dan? Um, I, I guess I have to say buy because I bought it, but um, I think, like I just said before, I think it depends on what you're looking for from the game. Um, if you're trying to introduce new folks to this uh, type of game, this style, uh, it's definitely a try and or buy. But if you're those hardcore social gamers that like games like Lifeboat and, and those, like, those ones that kind of compromise your friends uh, throughout, then I'd probably say you're going to want to pass on this one. All right, Tiffany, try, buy, or pass? I say buy, but it depends on what your group is like. I mean, that's probably pretty much any game, but for my group, it's a definite buy. All right. I 
would probably say buy too. If Dan didn't already own this, I think I'd probably grab it because I think that the people that I game with um, outside of Dan and Smee and uh, Ben, who are like a bit more heavyweight Euro players, I think that the the other side of my game group, this is the perfect game for it. And I do like the three to five player range because that means I can break this out instead of Werewolf Resistance and some of those other ones that require or at least are more fun with more players. This one really sits well with five, which is a, a much more manageable player count. So there we go. I think that that's our overview and review of Sheriff of Nottingham from Arcane Wonders. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to move into another rendition of Keep, Trade, or Burn. I can be your seventh hero, Steve, baby. You... Oh, he I can take away your six, your six. I can stand right next to you forever. You can't take my hand away. For this next segment, we're going to bring back something that we uh, took a stab at in episode one. It was a really good uh, suggestion by Matt for a segment, and we got some good feedback on it. So we're going to bring it back. It's our uh, keep, trade, or burn category. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get everyone three games, and they have to choose whether to keep the game for themselves, uh, trade it and or give it away to a friend, or burn it, which is, as it states, burning it. And never buy it again. Because it's burnt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, we're going to start this one off with Tiffany because she's a lady. And ladies go first. Tiffany, your three games are Alien Frontier, Arkham Horror, Pandemic. Really? You're going to hand me that easy one? Alright, I keep Alien Frontier... Because I love that game and I can play it all the time. Uh, I burn Arkham Horror and I give um, Pandemic to a friend. It's only right that you burn Arkham Horror because that's the only good thing to do with that game. Well, here's the thing about Arkham Horror is it's been replaced in my collection with Eldritch Horror. So, I mean, I don't own Arkham Horror, but I have a friend that does. And I don't see myself ever playing that game again after playing Eldritch Horror. So, and then for pan, um, Pandemic, I've played that game so many times, I could probably stand to not have it in my collection. I thought it may hold a bit of sentimental value, because you had mentioned before that it was the game that got you into board games. So. It is. I have two copies of it, actually. I have the original That's cool. uh, first printing. Be a traitor. Dan's cool. trying to psychologically mess with us by picking loved games. but I am. He forgets that Arkham Horror sucks all the time. Oh no, no, that was I was Arkham Horror doesn't suck. I all just wanted to hear someone say they'd burn it because that really just made me excited. You've been set up. <laughs> Got it. I figured as much. All right, Smee, you're up next. I am giving you Eclipse, Manhattan Project, Clash of Cultures. You, good sir, are an evil, evil man. So you know. Manhattan Project, I always lose that game. I, I, no matter what I do, but I love it. Um, so, you know, I'm going to have to say that is my go-ahead and, you know, keep that one. 
I, I, I will keep uh, Manhattan Project. Um, Eclipse, I am a huge, uh, you know, space 4X type person. Uh, then we've got Classic Cultures, another 4X, another civilization builder. That's a, a very tough call right there. Um, Especially when you have to burn one of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there, are, there is a lot of plastic in here. That's a lot of melting plastic. That, that is some toxic smoke right there. I mean, are, do you want to be responsible for this environmental damage? I, yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> fine. 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 Um, all right. So I will have to say that uh, I mean, since I don't own Eclipse anyway, I will go ahead and I yeah, yeah, this is not a a happy uh, collection right there. Um, there are enough other, uh, 4X type games, I guess. I will go ahead and trade Eclipse, and Clash of Cultures, uh, it'll have to, you know, be consigned to the history books. Really? Even the one game you own that you have upgraded every little miniature in it? <laughs> well, you didn't say I have to burn those pieces. <laughs> And you played in a tournament of Clash of Culture. That is, that is true. You do love that game. So I, I, I thought that would be a tough one for you. That's why I kind of threw that one out there. This one may be even tougher. This one is Matt's. Matthew, you have Euphoria, Belfort, and Dead of Winter. Oh. <laughs> well, that's sad times. Can you burn Dead of Winter if it's a game about the snow? <laughs> it's not underwater, so yes. Oh, jeez. Euphoria. Okay. This is a sad day, but I think it's easier than I thought it would be, although my heart burns. Um, I would keep that. Is the meatball sub you ate before the podcast? Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, that's the provolone cheese and such. Um... I would keep Belfort because Belfort is always fun. Belfort is great with any player count, and most people like Belfort. I would have to trade away Euphoria because I love Euphoria and would never want to burn it, but I also know that you guys will never play it with me ever again, so I might as well trade it away anyway. And I will burn Dead of Winter because it's Ben's and I didn't spend money on it. So there we go. <laughs> That's a cop out. That is a cop out, but you know, we All right, here... we'll have to revise the rules for next time. Oh no, 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 no! You get one before you move on to Tiffany again. Okay. So Dan, your keep trade burn, Caverna, Terra Mystica, and your newly backed collector's edition Takedo. Hmm. All of them dangerously flammable because of the number of <laughs> I was going to say, components. Caverna may have to be done under the supervision of a fire squadron because that game has a lot of wood. But I'm going to go ahead. That's a tough one. I love the Takedo, mainly for the art. The game itself, it's so-so. It's entertaining. It's one of those games you just put on the table and you just kind of walk <laughs> I, I will. I will tweet at Antoine Bowser and tell him you burned his game. I will cry. <laughs> I love that man. I love that man. I would have that man's children if it was possible. That is the second time you said this on this I, podcast. <laughs> I will keep saying it. And I was about to say he means it in a purely platonic manner, but then he goes on. <laughs> yes, I go on to children. Um, okay, so it's Caverna, 
Takedo, and what was the last one? Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica. I keep Terra Mystica because I love that game. And it's got so much replayability with the 14 races. Plus, they're expanding. They have another, what, six coming or something like that? Snow people. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to trade away my Takedo because I think someone could get really good use out of it. And it's so damn pretty. And that collector's edition has so many cool little things. And I'm going to burn Caverna. Um, and that's strictly for the fact that I haven't played it a lot. It's not one of those games you can play all the time. You have to have the right group of people, the right amount of time. So I'm going to sadly burn it, even though I really do like that game. And it will burn for days. I was going to say, that thing might not stop burning for years. It might, you know, we might need to send that somewhere that's really cold so that they have fuel. All right, back to you, Tiff. All right. Are you ready? I hope this next one's harder. Oh, don't give me that crap. <laughs> Lords of Waterdeep, Stone Age, Spikerstadt. Okay, that one is harder. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> all right, all right. Stone Age, Spikerstadt. Oh. And what was the other one? Oh, Waterdeep. Waterdeep. Oh, man. Is it my turn in Waterdeep? Yes. <laughs> I took my turn right at the start of the podcast. All so right, I'm definitely take my turn. Oh, man. But I can still have the app, yeah? You can't burn an app. Yeah, you can't burn an app. No, oh, we're perfect. punching That's loopholes. Right we're tripsy. punching loopholes. <laughs> I need to airtight this policy next time. All right. So, man, I probably keep Lords of Waterdeep. Really? Even yeah, I, app? Okay, well, if we're talking app, then obviously I keep Spikerstadt. Because Stone Age and um, Waterdeep both have awesome apps. Let's and, say that you don't own any electronics. Okay. You have to burn your Strict- iPod or your phone. Strictly analog. <laughs> yeah, when you burn the game, you burn all of your electronics along with it. Okay, that, that makes it definitely a lot harder. This game got a lot more intense a lot of see i have a lot of nostalgia for stone age because that was one of the first games that i really got into that was like worker placement euro you know so i really love that game but it doesn't really have the replayability that like lords of Waterdeep has especially with the expansion so i think i keep lords of Waterdeep. i trade spikerstadt because i just love that game it's so good light felled and then I burn Stone Age because oh, I've probably played the it. Smelly cup. Oh, it would smell so bad while it's burning. <laughs> <laughs> but I've played that one the most. I think that's kind of how I decide. I've played that so many times, so I think I could I could let it go. All right. Next, we'll go back to Smee. This one's not this one's not too hard. We'll see. Carcassonne, Lancaster, X Wing. Oh, this is a diverse group of games. Hmm. Again, I tried to make that diverse. Yeah, again, it's a large... Wait, wait, wait. Pl- Attack Wing. No. X-Wing. X-Wing. Ta- Attack Wing means way more to him. Not really. Hmm, not really. No. You run a league. He just got in on the ground floor of it, I think. 
Basically. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. X, <laughs> X-wing I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the X-wing, the X-wing tournaments scare me. Uh, they, <laughs> are, they are, they are, they are, they are hyper competitive, and and I don't know. But the the attack wing, I I, I roll with. Um, okay, so these these games, Carcassonne Carcassonne is a a great game. I love that. Um, it's my number five worker placement game. <laughs> it is not a worker placement game. <laughs> we we have had words about worker placement here. Uh, okay, you, you said Carcassonne, you said Lancaster, and X-Wing. Um, Lancaster is is a a good. A worker placement game. I that is one that I enjoyed and introduced to the league. Um, X Wing. I am been a great fan of you know all the films. I have I have scads of of miniatures everywhere. So actually, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna start with X Wing, and that's gonna be my burn because I have so many miniatures elsewhere. I could just play the game with those and 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 still be good. Wow. Uh, Lancaster. I will go ahead and keep. And Carcassonne, I will trade because we play that all the time anyway. Yeah, X-wing. That's a lot of money going to that bonfire. You're burning so. a tantive end of transport. The tantive needs a whole barrel. <laughs> oh, you're right. The tantive. The tantive. That is. I I don't play with that though. It, it sits on my shelf and looks awesome, but I don't play it. You heard it here first. Me balls. My man just makes it rain dollar bills <laughs> and burning X-Wing miniatures. He's got fleets and fleets and fleets. Plus, you can always buy into Armada, and that'll just... You can play that instead. Yeah, you can play Armada. I am I am of mixed feelings on Armada, but we won't get into that right here. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. And Matt, this one... I don't know how you'll do with this one, but we'll see. Uh, the Duke, City of Remnants, Flashpoint. Hmm. This is such a strange group of games. Flashpoint. I mean, there you go. That's kind of burn. <laughs> it burns by itself. <laughs> that's kind of burn. It's, it's so meta. Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest one to go with. I love Flashpoint forever and ever, but in this group of games, that's got to be the one that I burn. The question is, do I want to keep the Duke or keep City of Remnants? City of Remnants has a special place in my heart, and I keep bringing it to game night, and nobody wants anything to do with that game. Um, you never suggest it. Well, I never suggest any games. Yeah, you never suggest anything. <laughs> so if you want to play, you gotta suggest. Um, it. but the Duke, the Duke is a fantastic game. But they're coming out with Yarl, the tile laying game, so I could just buy that. That's a cop out too. I'm all about punching holes in your game. Um, I'm gonna come back strong next time. Yeah, I will. Policies. I will have to trade away City of Remnants and keep the Duke because the Duke. I can play like with anyone, and it gives me that chess feel without having to sit down and play chess, which I'm not as strong at. Um, yeah, keep the Duke, trade away City of Remnants, and appropriately burn uh, Flashpoint. And Dan, you're last. I so Dan, last one here. You're gonna you're gonna round out our keep trade burn with just the lightest of keep trade burns. Chronicle. You love Chronicle. Don't give me that I face. I do. I like Sage and I. I'll buy anything he makes. Rhino Hero yeah. or Elk Fist. Oh. What oh. to do with these three games? <laughs> this may be the hardest one of the night. I love Elk Fest. There's nothing like flicking some stupid ass discs across <laughs> the table and moving a damn moose. That is awesome. 
I don't even know. Why is it Outfest? They're moose. They're meese. They're they are moose. They're moose eye. They are moose. They're moose. So why is it Elkfest? I don't get that. Because but, they've got a sense of humor. I don't know. Whatever. Um, this just in as well. Tiffany got us the expansion. So, got us the expansion? Yeah, well, me. Because I, oh. <laughs> I own it. But. What do you mean she got it for us? She got it. They were giving it away as a promo. At I sweet-talked some Mayfair people it's just, it. it's just a little cardboard. Punch. It's their logs. Yeah, their logs. It's the log jam the log expansion. Jam expansion. We own Man, it. We play Elkfest like we'll... You're supposed to play like a foot away from each other, but we'll put it on the floor and play like <laughs> we'll play the entire room. Like eight foot elk fest. It is, <laughs> it's awful but awesome. Oh gosh, that's yeah. Chronicles getting burnt. Chronicles fun though. It is fun, but it's one of those games you gotta have enough players to get out. It's minimum three. It's yeah. There's enough other CJ Kanais that I could live without that one, but I do really enjoy that one. Uh. I'm going to have to trade Rhino Hero and keep Elkfest. Oh. Elkfest has just a special place I need in my to buy heart. a gasp sound effect. To I put in love Elkfest. It's so good. And the little bits are so nice and wooden. And, you can uh, only play so with two good. people. Rhino Hero serves all. It doesn't matter. Those two people playing will be the happiest two people in the world. That's all that matters to me is happiness in the world. All right. So, all right. So there you there have you it. There you go. All right. Well, that uh, that's our quick uh, segment on um, Keep Trader Burn. So with that, I'll turn it back to Matt, and he can do what he does. Well, with that, we can end the show. So That's what he does. I, I begin and end the show. That is my duty. So I guess on behalf of all of us here at the league and me and my co-hosts, we can say goodbye and thank you for joining us for the fourth episode. You can join us next week for episode five, where we'll be getting deep into a, another discussion topic. So, everyone say goodbye. Take that, take that, take that. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. If you're enjoying the content or have comments and suggestions, feel free to reach out to us on social media or shoot us an email at podcasts at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can also support the show with iTunes reviews and hearts on board game links. As always, swing by nonsensicalgamers.com for up-to-date news, reviews, Kickstarter previews, and gaming-related blogs. Until next time. So one of the games that we played last night at the game show. All right, last night at the game show. Oh god, my life. Welcome everybody to the game show. Original uh, sheriff of Nottingham, Hart on their Grenze. What? What is that? A. It's a thing. Danka. Is that X-rated? What did What did you just say? It means. Hard on the border. <laughs> hard on the border? It is the X-rated version. <laughs> I thought that sounded like a come on. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. I am uncomfortable now. It looks amazing and I want to talk about it. You guys just vetoed my Disney music and then you started talking about X-rated German porn flicks. It's the name of the game. It's the Put original name of the game. on the border? No, it's hard <laughs> your on the border. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers After Dark. <laughs> um, we didn't end suspend, though. We just interrupted the suspend description. Oh.
Really? Yeah, I, thought you I don't know. Done with that. We said it sounds cool. I'll work I it mean, out. I mean, yeah, we, we were sort of... We can come back and fake our enthusiasm. Ready? One, two, ah. three. Suspend! Woohoo! You're the worst. I... Suspend! Dexterity games! Yay! Did you buy this? Yes, I bought it. It does look like it would be like a mass market game. Just the packaging and stuff. It is. It comes in a tube, which I f***ing hate, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, Noted. That's how we really feel. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't, like don't mean to offend. God, I hate tubes. <laughs> tubes are so... It's just, where the hell am I going to put like... this on a game shelf? Do you like Pringles? No, she hates Pringles. Where's she going to put that on her pantry shelf? She buys Cheez-Its and Triscuits. See, this is funny. This should be on the podcast. <laughs> I edited out so we're more boring. <laughs> Final version. There's a lot of loud techno in it. I, I listen to it and like I have to turn it up pretty loud to hear our voices in my car. And it could just be because it's in the car, too. But then when the techno came on, holy shit, I thought my car was going to blow up. <laughs> it was so loud. Like, my car was jumping. I kept meaning to listen to it, but I had to listen to my, like, de-stressed miss, mi- mix because it's been such a terrible week. Um, I listened to it five times. It's good. I trust your opinion. I listened to it like three. I wouldn't. I'm the one who created the creepy intro music. I like the creepy intro music. Everyone gave me shit about it. I heard nothing but bad things about that. Well, that's unfortunate. Not the. Or are we talking the other one? Yeah, the other one. What? Like the like. The slow the... one. I like that. Oh, everyone told me it sounded like porn music. Wait, wait. The in interlude music sounded like porn music, but the the first like the intro music, that's... I like that. Yeah, oh. no, I'm talking about the porn music. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the porn music. It sounded like techno softcore porn. Now, there wasn't any techno in that. It was a little porno-esque. I could see that. I mean, I was filming a porn. That's why I had the... <laughs> it makes perfect file. sense. <laughs> that's why I had the file. A little context would help. I wasn't starring in it. Know. I was just Brown. shooting it. <laughs> that's why I'm so good at editing. I do the audio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, there are so many good outtakes in this. So one of the games that we played last night during our game night, Steve came over and Smee came over, and Steve brought Quilt Show, which we've been teasing him about for months now, because what the hell is this game? Because he bought a game about making quilts. Yeah. This is basically what it comes down to. But it was, in fact, a whole game, and it had rules and gameplay that was enjoyable so we can chat a bit about it what did you think dan um yeah (laughs) it had quilts i mean that's it was very uh for me it was very reminiscent of ticket to ride um there's cards um out on the board that represent the different colors of fabric that you can buy and you're quilting trains you're quilting for that doesn't make any sense (laughs) you're quilting trains it's throwing you off go ahead don't throw me off, but I've had three <laughs> beers and I'm trying to talk board games. Proceed, quilt show. Cut this. Three beers? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I'm trying to talk about f***ing quilts. Okay, so you mean you lost your quilt of thought? Yeah, you lost, lost your quilt, quilt of thought. Sheriff not again. Back on topic. Let's All right. get this f***ing thing started. That's going to be our interlude music. Let's take a quick break. do 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 do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Are you going to start? 
I was, <laughs> thank you, Smee. Smee just gave me the bottle opener and just stabbed. Dang. I'm going to lobotomize you. <laughs> all right. No, that he'll just be doing that all the time. God, he's going to do this all night. I'm not playing Panamax with you. trip. It started out the rest of the words. I'm sitting at a table shoulder to shoulder with you dolts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back on topic. So drink your fears away. Worry for another day. Down in Fraggle Rock. Let the podcast play. Okay. All right, let's go. Sorry. And we're back. This is my regular gaming group, Tiffany. <laughs> it sounds time. awesome. I can feel the pity. I sung basically Seventh Hero to you guys yesterday. Yes, you fun. did. And I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I won that game. I can be your seventh hero, Steve. baby. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> he didn't have a choice at that point, though. It wasn't his fault. He I only had a two and a seven. I can take away your six, your six. I can stand right next to you forever. <laughs> you can take my hand away. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we should have a policy of one beer only uh, during the next podcast. Yeah, but remember yesterday he hadn't had any beers. <laughs> that is true. I had an amp, though, and that amped me up. All right. <laughs> Alright, this episode is sponsored by AMP. Uh-huh. It does a body good. And Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> Your hero. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> You're gonna have to wait a second. <laughs> I think I'm dying of laughter. <clears throat> okay. Good. Oh, man, this is going to be a long outtake. 